You are listening to the Plain Label Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Plain Label Podcast. I am your host, Eric Williams, and welcome to Volume 5 of the Plain Label Podcast. In this volume, in nearly every episode, our goal is pretty simple. Not only are we discussing a pair of films or a series, but we are going to be discussing some films that I host on my Plex account that I haven't seen yet, and we're going to decide if I should keep them or delete the file, because, Mr. Teed, this volume is called The Culling. In this episode, we are going to be discussing the 1973 film F for Fake and the 2016 documentary Camera Person, and joining me once again for this episode is returning guest, Mr. Ben Teed. Hey, thank you. Mm-hmm. And see, here I was hoping you were doing the Orson Welles, but you oh, chose yeah. not to do it. I you mean, ah, oh, <laughs> French champagne. <laughs> Thank you. That's right. I was taking a drink. And scene. <laughs> and scene. And bow. So, Mr. Teed, what is it that you are having to uh, to drink for me this uh, you... this this, this pre Thanksgiving episode? Yes. Uh, you said that. Uh, oh, I got to go mix myself a drink, and I go, Oh crap! I forgot. There's alcohol on the show. I got to go get something. Where's so my into, cider? Where's my cider? And I reached in for a cider, and of course, out came a Cayman Jack margarita, a re- already mixed <laughs> lime juice and agave nectar, ready to drink. Man, those um, are so sweet. On ice, yes. This thing is concentrated, so I <laughs> cut it with some water. Oh, nice. Okay, uh, that's probably better though because it is like it's like drinking syrup. Like it is super sweet. But am I drinking a Cayman Jack? <gasps> Could I be possibly drinking? No, I'm just kidding. I am. I am Could I have the Cayman Jack can up I my sleeve? I sit there and told you about the lime juice and the agave nectar, <laughs> and I knew, and that like was supposed to make you believe it that much harder, right? But, but instead, am I, but am I actually having a Blake cider like I normally do? And I'm not. I really am not. But you know what has any way of proving it? <laughs> so I'm right. just gonna have to say this Cayman Jack margarita. I even said the thing about cutting it with water and all that. I know it was believable. And now 20 minutes of me uh, <laughs> pretending uh, like the last 20 minutes of this will be like you and me pretending to be this artist dying. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about <laughs> Picasso and we're going to talk about, yeah, we're going to talk about all that stuff. Well, I figured that since I would make myself a fancy drink because we're talking about some fancy films today. We're talking about some some Criterion films. And this is a little like subsection of the uh, the whole volume of the whole goal of me trimming down these files that I have on my Plex account that are just you know bursting at the seams of of my poor computer saying you know get rid of some of these you don't need <laughs> all me. you don't need all of these <laughs> but I have plenty of them that are from Criterion and so I said who should I get a hold of to talk about some Criterion films of course Mr Teed. Oh, thanks. Right, but <laughs> so since this is a uh, this is a, a, a fancy capital F discussion, I went Ooh. with a uh, a vodka martini, and so hey. occasionally I will be muting as I'm eating these olives because, like <laughs> like our mutual pal Mr. Crucy, I do like myself some green olives. Yum. Uh, and so that's what I'm going to be having, and and no, I'm not spending 
you know, roughly half of the uh, the podcast time strutting my stuff down this boulevard while all these old men look at me. Uh, or <laughs> nor am I going to be topless for much of the last uh, 15 to 20 minutes of the, the discussion either. So Darn. sorry to disappoint the fans up there, you know, so. <laughs> So that's what we are uh, drinking. The films we are—that's the films we're going to be discussing. We're going to start in 1973 with the film *F for Fake*. Ladies and gentlemen, by way of introduction, this is a film about trickery and fraud, about lies. After your old tricks, I see. Why not? I'm a charlatan. Who is Elmir? Among all fakers, Elmir is number two. I never offered a painting or a drawing to a museum who didn't buy it. My personal feelings about Elmir are very mixed. Sounds very Jesuitic. <laughs> Elmir, as the great faker of the 20th century, becomes a modern folk hero for the rest of us. Only Swaki, my Ladies and gentlemen, a special news flash from Washington. Any moment now, President Roosevelt will be receiving a delegation from Mars. From Mars, peace talks are expected. Well, Picasso is the biggest phenomenon of our time. film is uh, written and directed by Mr. Orson Welles, and the IMDb plot synopsis goes like this. And this is from Ben and I's good pal over at IMDb, Mr. <laughs> Anonymous. <laughs> and, it, and it says, Orson Welles' free-form documentary about fakery focuses on the notorious art forger and Elmer's biographer, Clifford Irving. I like how they didn't list the first person. Uh, who also wrote the celebrated fraudulent Howard Hughes autobiography, then touches on the reclusive Hughes and Wells's own career, which started with a faked resume and a phony Martian invasion. On the way, Wilson play, uh, Wells plays a few tricks of his own on the audience. So it was Elmer Ori is the guy that is the painter that they're talking about. And I'm not sure why they didn't uh, include that in the plot in the, uh, synopsis. But, Mr. T, tell me about you and the film F for Fake. I don't have any past history with F for Fake, but I do have a past history with Orson Welles. Mm -hmm. um, I first watched Orson Welles in college with uh, Citizen Kane. Actually, mm -hmm. no, that's not true now that I think about it. Probably my first brush with Orson Welles was, I think we were in fifth grade. We were so this whole, this class of mine. We we was like a special class where we got pulled out and there was like 
you're very you're a, you read faster than the other kids. You go in this class. And so like a gifted class or something. Oh yeah, like a deaf class. Been, yeah. I might have been the dumbest kid in the gifted class. <laughs> so so it was nice to be in that because we would, didn't have to do like the regular assignments. We would just go off of what we were all were all interested in. And because it was the 90s, uh, we were all super obsessed with the X-Files. Ah, uh, yeah. And anything having to do with paranormal or alien, like crypto, like any cryptids or, or any sort of like alien extraterrestrial stuff. So we had all these UFO books that we were pulling. Every single project we worked on was UFOs. And one of the things that they introduced, what the teacher very smartly introduced to us was the War of the Worlds radio play. Oh, and I, yes. I think we, li- we listened to it on Halloween. And it, like, I still remember just getting chills listening to that thing. And that was like, what, like the 30s or something? Yeah, like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it wasn't like the, the craziness of, of him being able to pull that off at the time and to continue that that shroud over people and make people really believe that martians were attacking and that people got out their guns and pointed them at the sky when they walked out of their house and who knows where um listening to him from home and freaking out and it's a really good prank and it's a really good program but um even knowing that it was fake uh in (laughs) fifth grade it still was fun and so uh, 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 ran chills up my spine and it was just like just a fun way to spend uh, a time in school and stuff like that and so cut to cut to um, college film courses I'm, I'm we're studying wells and we watch um, we watch like what goes in a camera like Fellini and, and a lot of and Bunuel and stuff and then we finally hit Orson with um, uh, Citizen Kane and seeing that with the context of having the the have you, have you, I, I, I'm not trying to like out you here or anything like that but have you ever seen the battle for Citizen Kane like the, no. the documentary that it's based on or Citizen Kane itself no that's on, okay. it's on my it's on my PDF of my shameful PDF totally, that yes. is attached to the uh, to the show notes of this episode where it's got these uh, these episodes that I'll be going through do I think that it's the greatest film of all time like a lot of people say. <laughs> Probably not, but mm-hmm. is it a pretty damn? It's like one for the ages, like one for all of cinema. Yes, I actually do believe that. I think the importance of giving yourself the context for watching Citizen Kane is first, not second. Firstly, watching the Battle of Citizen Kane. Okay. I think the documentary that comes with the DVD, and I believe it's on the Criterion Blu-ray. Uh, the four I, I got, I bought the 4K Blu-ray when. Um, when uh, uh, Criterion put it out, like I think like a year or two ago, mm-hmm. um, super big set and, and really super nice and looks really good. But that documentary is probably the best thing to watch to give you an idea of of the context of the film. Like it puts the film in a better light for you to understand what's happening and why it's such a big deal. Mm-hmm. And you and the thing is, you won't have to worry about spoilers or anything because it's been spoiled by. Thousands oh of, yeah, for sure. That, you know, yeah. you know what you know what it is. Yeah, I know what Rosebud is. And stuff, but the yeah. point of the movie is to watch it like grow from that. Like that's the fun part of Citizen Kane, and watch it watch it just bloom. Um, so, and then um, the other other few things that I've learned is kind of like studying a little bit of Peter Bogdanovich. Oh yeah, how he was someone who uh, lived with Orson for a while towards the end of Orson's life. 
and making the last picture show in 71 and this being his next film in France, uh, Orson trying to get funding for one of his projects and not being able to becoming kind of an outcast, people kind of making fun of him, making fun of his weight, making fun of, you know, just how sad he'd become because he was such this big success story. And then Hollywood knocked him down and then going over to France and making F for fake. And this, this film has always been kind of a, a monolith in the distance of something that I'm like, I should check this out. I should see this. I know I would probably like it. Mm-hmm. I think I know what it's about. I think I know what he's trying to say, even before seeing the film. And so I made an assumption when you had made, when you had given me the, the calling list, the big <laughs> list of movies. Yeah. I, we were trying to pair stuff and put things together and get our list together. And I, as I found myself um, looking through the list, I started to my like like a person does um, starts to make my brain started to make patterns of seeing themes run together. And F for Fake, I thought paired really well with um, the next film that we talk about and about um, about what uh, what the what the magic is behind being a like i i equate people who make movies to magicians mm. truly I, I i and people that can form letters into words are all it's kind of like an alan moore thing where he says like you know the, these people are casting spells like that is what it is if you want to get down to like the basic thing i actually do truly believe that even though it can be explained away we can talk about how a shot is made or how something is achieved on camera or how something is quote made real before your eyes. What is that? But magic, you know, I kind of look at that as kind of like, Oh, that's just another form of storytelling. It's another form of being able to uh, enchant us all with stories. And even if it's just for a glimmer of a, of a night, you know, of a, of a moment in a film, whenever you see a performance or whenever you see a, uh, a line read in a certain way, you know, it's sometimes spelled out on the, on the face or something like that. There's a bit of me that kind of goes, oh, that is just pure magic or pure cinema or something like that. The idea of that uh, kind of stems from what I think Orson Welles is talking about in this film. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason, like, it was not, we, we both picked movies off of your list that, well, obviously you haven't seen them. But I was trying to pick. I was trying to pick movies that I had not seen as well. Are you having me pick movies? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was. Uh, it was. We were crossing out the ones that you had already seen, basically. So this one felt so important, like too important to like pass up to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I thought it paired very nicely, pattern wise, with the second one. And I and I think I I think we'll talk about it. But I think it kind of turned out for the best. Yeah. Yeah. Me. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is. So, yeah. uh, so obviously I hadn't seen it. Um. My my Orson Welles history is pretty pretty short. Uh, like Ben uh, asked, I have not seen Citizen Kane. I know what it. I obviously know what it is. Uh, did you ever catch Other Side of the Wind? That uh, new you know, that I, came out? I I I thought it was funny that they did mention uh, Other Side of the Wind, or at least Bogdanovich does in the uh, in some of the supplemental uh, Criterion yeah uh, material. Um, I have, I have not seen that either. The only thing that I've seen that is Orson Welles related, and I guess I haven't seen, I've heard, and that's the War of the Worlds radio stuff because I did teach that when I was teaching, um, I was teaching like a video and audio sort of a unit, uh, for my media class that I used to teach. And so, 
it was a thing where it's like, all right, so here you're going to listen to this. And of course, the kids were kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the it's the 30s. This isn't real, blah, 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 and, and all this sort of thing. So I wished I would have had someone that had the uh, the experience that you did. But it was more of like a, I showed them or I had them listen to part of this. And I had them listen to part of like um, uh, the War of the Worlds, I mean, and then part of uh, the first season of Serial. Uh, the podcast of Serial, and just listen to a, a couple of different things about audio storytelling, basically, um, is what we were what we were going through. So, um, I was going to mention here in my notes that I that I wrote down that Orson Welles is sort of this like Paul Bunyan type of a figure to me, uh, to where he's this he's this person that I've heard imitated so often, and I have seen more in like a like a TV interview sort of situation that I've actually seen his work itself. And it's one of those things where it's been such an obvious black hole of mine to where it's like, well, yeah, I should probably watch that eventually. But am I going to watch Citizen Kane and think, oh, this is the greatest movie of all time? Like, what a burden to place upon it is. the experience it's, of a film. It's been talked up way too much. Yeah. And it's hard to do something like that. This is... Honestly, as someone who's seen a few of these films, like I'm looking at a lot of like Magnificent Ambersons, Other Side of the Wind, Touch mm-hmm. of Evil, Citizen Kane, this actually is a pretty good introduction to to Orson Welles like as a person, mm-hmm. like how much he is such a like a a magician. Char- he, he goes, well, "What can I say? I'm a charlatan." Like he walks away and like he wears a cape and like you know he is this like mysterious big looming figure and not just because of his physical size he also just he was kind of an amazing person regardless of whether or not he was like a good person right you know like i think there's something to this like archetype that he fits that is just larger than life yeah he is i'm not saying anything yeah yeah, not saying anything new about that but Right. He is a dude that it's kind of like you see him on screen and he does give a sense of belonging on screen. Like, you know, he's doing these he's doing these opening narration moments and he's uh, just sort of setting up what's going on. And then later after the the one hour mark where he's explaining things to the mm. to the audience and that sort of thing where um, he's just so very. He comes across very sure of himself and very confident and very like he takes his time and what he's going to say and it's kind of like, ooh, wasn't that clever? Even if it's something that uh, I wasn't particularly like surprised by at one point, but he's like kind of gives you the look like, huh? Yeah, that was good, right? Uh, did you see that? You know, he's just kind of very <laughs> like a, he's like a showman essentially. Um, and there's not, I don't feel like a there's ringleader. a ton of these anymore. Like, I don't feel no, like there's no. a ton of showmen like this. Well, and that's because by this point, he absolutely is this, like... And I bet people at the time, 73 or whatever, they're not they're not illusioned by this man anymore. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't think of him as, like, this, like, wow, he's the master storyteller, like they did in the 30s and 40s. Are you kidding me? By this point, he was washed up, and he couldn't get a film made, and no one wanted to buy his stuff, and he just thought Hollywood was, you know, this or that, you know? And so... By making whatever we didn't get, I'll just put it in as an edit of saying uh, that was some uh, some Orson Welles movie magic that we. Uh... He was like, no, <laughs> I had some some French champagne. Yeah, what is he, he did one with the peas. Remember the peas one too? Yeah, 
But he's like, oh, like ugh, I forget what he said. He's like, you show me where it says that in the English language, and I'll I'll go down on you. <laughs> he's like real, like angry and like just weirdly just surly. Yeah, not which, weirdly, is, which surly. is not That's... like uh, the way that he promoted himself in that film. Yeah. So yeah. So basically, um, we can we can really briefly get to the the end of what. Uh, the the ultimate discussion is Mr. Teed. So F for fake. Do you believe I should keep it or I should delete it? Oh, oh, that's the thing. Okay. Oh man. So oh, you know, uh, space is limited. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. This is someone with physical media. So the fact, like, the, what I want to tell you is just it, there's a Black Friday sale somewhere that has a whole other uh, 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 amount of disk space that you can have to keep this film because mm-hmm. I really, really want you to keep it. And this mm-hmm. is someone who gave this film five stars. Uh-huh. But I would honestly say you're probably fine to get rid of it because you've seen it once now. You get what the anthem is of this. You get the the, the gist. You get the... The whole point of Plex to me is to have things on hand when you want to watch something and then you don't have it. You can just hit a button and it's playing. Mm-hmm. But I have now become more – it's interesting that you asked me this question because I'm such a hard, hard person for physical media. Mm-hmm. Like I love streaming services. I love the ability. If we have it on streaming, I will hit streaming and not go run off and get the, the DVD because why would I care? Like right. it doesn't matter. It's going to yeah. play in 4K. It's going to be wonderful. But I would say, interestingly, I feel like it's interesting to go ahead and just cut it off because you have now seen it. You get it. I feel like I feel like after talking with you, I feel like you understood what he was trying to say. Mm-hmm. And you probably won't. You'll probably watch it maybe once more in your life. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not even that. And so, like, you'll always remember images from this. You'll always remember, like, what they were talking about. You might, you might, we could, you could, you could probably skip watching the film, go back to this conversation. Just <laughs> right, it's yeah. record, you know, it's yeah. record, you know, so like, you know what I mean? So I would say you're probably safe. I, and it's so weird that you're asking me this now because I, I feel like any other night I would have been like, Oh, what are you talking about? This is a, this is a, a, a film for the ages. This is one mm-hmm. that needs to be celebrated. Yeah, that's true. But I'm also okay with letting it go, especially on a server, you know, like, you could you can pay the two ninety nine from Apple to rent it again. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. If you ever absolutely needed to see it. Well, right here. So here's the where here's where I was at when I finished it. I was like, I I gave it a four star um, because some of like the leering shots and stuff. I was like, I don't know. Can I give this a five star? Like this is this is a bit much. Um, but and but I really did enjoy it a lot. Um. Just in case, you know, we had some technical difficulties. So in case I didn't come through, uh, Ben and I both enjoyed the film quite a bit. Do okay. I feel like this is something that I would watch again? I don't know. Like, this is not a film that I feel like I would show my wife or my kid. Uh, because they're just going to be like, what did you show me that for? Like, the, if, what's well, the only point if of they this? Were, but either of them were ever interested in making films or mm-hmm. writing for films or being in the film industry. That's the only time I can see myself ever being like, Noah, you want to be a filmmaker, eh? You got to watch this. Yeah. And this is like one of those, like, like you hand them Harvey Peek, not Harvey Peek, uh, uh, 
um, like if you want to be a comics maker, you gotta get, um, the, uh, Eisner, um, comics and sequential art. You have mm. to read this. Mm. You have to read, uh, you know, the, the just making, uh, understanding comics by Scott McCloud. Oh, like sure, you got, yeah, sure. Like you have to have something like that in order to understand why the medium works. It's one of those type of things where understanding comics isn't like the thing you pull off the shelf and you're like going to have a good read. No, that's actually to study. Like it's actually <laughs> right, like yeah. this is a this is supposed to you're not you're not going to be studying this anymore. It's okay to like take it off your 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 uh, digital shelf. Mm-hmm. But if you were a college or whatever, it absolutely should be in the library. Like it absolutely should be on the shelf of the of like the reference stuff that you're gonna need. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the that's the difference, I guess, in, in in terms of how I'm feeling or how you're feeling, probably. Yeah, yeah, I think it's one of those where you know I did like like we mentioned the Bogdanovich uh, preview. I liked the 60 Minutes interview with Clifford Irving from uh, several several years later, right? Uh, where they interview him again because he had. Uh, basically just straight up lied to Mike Wallace and they told the whole, uh, the story about the, about, um, oh God, what, uh, like a, having like a, it was like a fig or it was something like that, that, uh, that, uh, Howard Hughes had supposedly asked Irving for and all this nonsense. It was just, it was one of those things where it's like when my kid is lying and she's being very, very detailed you're like all right this is too much like you would not be telling me this unless you're up to something i didn't murder that person i was at the drive-thru and i I ordered a number two which is a double cheeseburger meal and the reason why i know that is because double cheeseburger meal comes with pickles and the pickles (laughs) exactly that guy definitely murdered right yeah 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 (laughs) and so um so i did watch some of that there's a couple more of them left to go there's a commentary left to go that i haven't listened to so I think that once I feel like I've got all there is to get, I think I may let it go, which is weird because when I finished it, I did think, oh, I definitely need to keep this because it was so interesting. But then I think it's more of like, is there a lot of rewatchability? I don't know that there really is. And like when you when you think about, like I said, the, like the use of Plex, like mm-hmm. is that your only – like you, do you – Surely you have physical media. In oh, your absolutely. House, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, you yeah. Have physical discs and stuff like that. And, and I definitely do. But I'm saying like, there are certain things that you're just going to want to hit a button and replay them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this is one of those. This is one of those where if you got a library card, nothing stopping you from getting that Blu-ray. That's where I got it from, baby. That's what I'm saying. It's going <laughs> to be there. Someone's going to have a copy. Criterion or something like that. Criterion may go away. Maybe mm-hmm. 50 years from now, maybe 20 years from now, whatever. But that movie will somehow survive. It's that good. Yeah. But it, but if it lives on your Plex server or something like that, that whole time, it's not going to probably go anywhere. It's going to gather digital dust. Mm-hmm. It's probably you know. Probably yeah. And there's no uh, there's no OCD that's holding me back either. The uh, yeah. in our previous episode we talked about Star Wars Episode Nine, and I was like, yeah, but I have all of the other Star Wars. Can yeah, I can I, can my can my brain just allow me to not have the ninth one? I don't know that it can, but in this case, I have a few other Orson Welles films. I don't know, you know that I what? need to keep it. The thing is, I've seen all the Star Wars films. I've seen the th- first three, the the, 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 orig- original the actual three, so many times. You could dump them all in the garbage fire, mm-hmm. and I'd be fine. Like because I've seen them forever. I've seen them all. You're bold. And, and 
And I like I know them by heart. I knew the originals by heart for sure. That's probably why you and I are talking. It's because I know those by heart. Probably. But you know what? Like, do I need to have copies of them on hand to show my children's children's children or something? <laughs> no. Are you kidding? That's weird. But Ben, what weird. if I want to just throw on some Empire Strikes Back what before I go you to sleep? Absolutely can, and you should, and that will be there for you for nine ninety nine a month. No. Uh, for <laughs> Over at Disney uh, Plus. Yeah, over at Disney Plus. Or if you're like me and a huge weirdo, you have the specialized Blu-rays that you bought. I mean, that fell on your doorstep, and you have no idea how they came to you. Yeah, they got there. And and some generous, loving person brought them to my home uh, after I totally didn't pay for them in gorgeous (laughs) uh, 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 physical packaging, including the uh holiday special oh well at least there's no hypocrisy going on that's that's what i'm concerned about that's what i'm concerned about all right well so i think we're both in deleted uh which was which is not really what i thought when i I didn't think so either that's very interesting that's such a crazy thing it is all right well let's talk about our second film uh it is from just a few years later it's from 2016 and the film is called camera person that's pretty look at that yellow flower it's amazing wildflowers here is the haze working for you not loving it but we're getting pieces of stuff that don't have haze Was it an easy delivery, that one? Yes, she's, it's very easy. <laughs> they caught me. Is it okay if I film you? Mom? IMDb, this is a documentary, so I'm not going to do the typical uh, written and directed by. This is Kirsten Johnson's film, but it is not it is not uh, sort of typically written, we'll say it that way. But uh, the IMDb plot synopsis, it is from, apparently, Ben, it is from IMDb him or herself, because there is nobody tagged. There's not even an, an anonymous tag on this. But the synopsis goes like this. Exposing her role behind the camera, Kirsten Johnson reaches into the vast trove of footage she has shot over decades around the world. What emerges is a visually bold memoir and a 
revelatory interrogation of the power of the camera. Okay, so tell me about you and Camera Person. Camera Person was one that I heard the year it came out. Uh, I didn't think much of it because I had no context at all for Kristen Johnson. I'd seen, I'm looking at her like cinematographer credits and stuff like that. I've heard of some of the films she's made or that she shot, um, but I haven't really seen that much. I mean, outside of maybe the uh, Michael Moore stuff, uh-huh. this film is not yet rated, which I feel like that was getting passed around a lot in college. About that was the, like the Philip Dick movie. Is that what his name was? Something Dick. Is uh, Kirby name. Dick. Kirby yeah, Dick. He, that was in 2006. Yeah, it was about around the time I was I graduated, and I was looking at this film, and it 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 probably plays very lamely now. Unfortunately, I don't know, but it was one of those where I kind of felt like like it, it's interesting to kind of like go after the MPAA and and find out who these people are and why they're able to like have this much power over how much a a rating of a film gets because back when we all used to go to movie theaters and back when it used to matter what things were rated, um, uh, that was a thing that, uh, constituted how much money a film made. Right. You know, just by giving it an R rating, you automatically assume that it wasn't going to make much money. Well, now in the age of Deadpool and Joker, is that true? And does that matter? And, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I'm worried about the relevancy of some of those films. Not that it has anything to do with Christian Johnson, other than that she's a cinematographer. But when I actually look at some of her directed films, there's a lot that's on my list to see. Mm. This might have been the one that I was looking forward to the most just because um, I knew it was very personal ah. um, going in. Uh, but now the one I'm looking forward to the most is Dick Johnson is dead. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. I'll talk more about that. Cause I know a little bit about that film and it looks amazing. Um, so yes, the other thing is the reason why picking this film, seeing it on your list and kind of going, oh, I gotta, I gotta make sure I know what that's about. So I look it up and I notice that with effort fake and I'm thinking, you know what? I am a camera person. I'm a person who constantly has to carry around equipment and know what it's like to mic a person and get very intimate with that person and to a lot of the times it's not i am a person whose regular job it is is to put a camera on someone who's not used to being on a camera Mm -hmm. it's usually they're not on-air talent i work at a news station but it's not i don't work in a capacity of uh people who are used to being on tv who know their lines and can just say it and it's awesome because they're the weatherman or whatever. It's not like that at all. I'm a commercial. Uh, I'm a commercial director, writer, producer, editor, everything. So when it comes to a lot of the talent that I work with, uh, it varies from place to place. It's always something new every day, much like the scattershot that is this film. And the person that's usually on the other end of my camera is usually being voluntold to be there. <laughs> um, or it's their livelihood. Uh-huh. And so I try to look at them and their problem. And their problem is usually they want to get some sort of message out as very clinical and very like, I try to treat it as if they're coming to me as if I'm a doctor or I'm a nurse or something like that. I'm a person who's going to take care of their problem. Or I'm going to, I'm going to try my best to be their megaphone to get that amplified out. And what am I if not a documentarian every single day mm. with this camera? I pretty much bring 
local businesses in my area, Northeastern Indiana, uh, to the public and let people know that this special is going on or this is happening or that's happening. Or did you know that this was here? This, this, um, place, this one weird one I did was like, a recently was this like, um, leather daddy, uh, shop. It was okay. so fascinating. It was so <laughs> fascinating. Anyways, but this guy, this was guy was running his, he was living his dream. Like it was so fascinating to see this guy who, um, collected some money from his past job and was able to save up and be able to start his own store where he could have like leashes and dog, dog masks and, and, uh, was harnesses and all sorts of stuff. And he was able to be like, live his life as a shop owner and love it in Northeast Indiana, like one of the most conservative places around. <laughs> Uh, here he is, like, living out his dream and having that. And that's awesome. And some of the things he would say to me, he was on camera for, and listening to his story and watching how fascinating it was, how he met his partner, how all these things. Like, it's just kind of, it's kind of nice to be in this intimate moment where you are kind of, even if, even though you're on screen, you're getting truth from people. Mm. This is why me and Kristen Johnson, I feel like, would get along. I don't feel like I would get along very well with Orson Welles. Uh. Because he is the type of person who would be hard to live with. He'd be hard to work with. He'd be this, like, giant ego of a person. I feel like I could get along through the, through her video memoir, through Kristen Johnson, because of what she chooses to show when she chooses to cut um, and how... Uh, hidden behind the camera she feels mm-hmm. um, I hear her in moments the times that she does speak up we'll get to those moments but she reveals what a good person she is to me mm. um, because I've been in those situations where I've heard someone say something about themselves or a lot of times people are in front of the camera and they, they, they self-deprecate which puts me at ease because I go oh they're like me <laughs> like they also think they don't look good or they don't want to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but, but also like there's a sweetness to her that I just, I love and I think she's really talented. This is really the only thing I've seen of hers though. And so I kind of am glad that I saw this first and that's my, like, so to kind of, kind of put a cap on like my, my part, my feelings with her is that, that like, like not only was I, never ever 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 uh uh seen any of her stuff except for the the probably the most famous like scene stuff in america um but i like i'm now paying attention to what she's doing and who she is like oh now i'm now i'm now i'm on now i'm in because she became vulnerable to me on the screen through this movie yeah so this i feel like i don't know this for sure but i feel like this must have been uh like a film spotting thing this must have been like this came out and they were going through their top films of the year or something and this was mentioned because i remembered it having it on a a watch list either whether it's letterboxd whether it's uh just a spreadsheet that i have i had this on there for a while and it was like I don't even know if I remember what this is about. All that I know is that it's a cinematographer. And so I was like, all right, well, we're going to, we're going to crank this baby up. And so I watched it and it was very much uh, like I was 
commending Ben, uh, believe it or not, <laughs> while I was watching it because I was like, well, this fits very well with F for Fake. And it's got a lot of not, I mean, it's not really a linear story. There's not really, um, like there's, there's no stories, <laughs> there's story. Yeah. There's, there's stories within stories and there, there's a lot of like, it's got a little bit of an anthology feel, a little bit of a short movie feel, a little bit of like some things continue and some things end and they don't all end or begin at the same places. And it is again, like F for fake, it is a challenging script to or film to make notes about um, because you're like, all right, well, this was effective. Uh, I didn't really like this part. This part was good. Like that's all the depth that I really felt like I was getting to. Like, you know, the the first note that I wrote was that the courtroom description about the dragging uh, storyline that was really difficult. Yes. Um, and I was like, Jesus Christ! Like this is this is really tough. Um, but I, I thought that like, it just had such sweeping emotions and shifting emotions for such little time spent with these different characters to where I was, I was sort of fascinated by this as a whole. And there'd be times where I was like, ah, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of losing, losing the thread or losing the importance of some of this. And then they'd switch to the lady in the apartment who was sort of having a mental breakdown, uh, after oh, her mother, so good. Yeah, after her mother died, right? Or oh, she would switch. Suicides. Yeah, right. And so she'd, sw- or she'd switch to the story about her own mother who had dementia. Oh, uh, so good. And I'm like, oh my god. And then there'd be some of the things where I was like, I don't know, like when they were when they were in uh, Bosnia with the old lady that you can sort of understand. Um, and she was <laughs> making bread, and then she was smoking a cigarette, and she's the very wrinkled woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, this this part isn't affecting me as emotionally as some of the other ones. But then I was like, well, that makes sense because if it's all if it's only these emotional tales, it's going to it's going to wear me thin after a while. Um, but I don't know. I thought that this was fascinating. That was um, the one part of that film that got me. Sorry, I don't, I'm, I'm trying to I want to go back real quick. But that was the part that I got bogged down was Bosnia. Yeah, we spent so much time there. And I, that the I I have ideas about what why we both might not have uh, got slowed down at that point, but um, we, I can share that here in a little bit. Sorry, that was that was specifically where my kind of where my where I kind of hit a wall a little bit where I'm like, okay, well, not everything's like gonna be like these highs and you know there has there has to be it's just like an effort fake where there's these moments where they're just talking about the art and about these artists lives and stuff like that i'm like is any of this important do i need to know any of this <laughs> yeah and and the thing is what i'm looking for by the time that we get to bosnia or by the time we by the time they hit you with that first um uh, uh courtroom murder mm-hmm. um and they go through details and they're holding the pictures that's so like close to showing you oh it's very like, tantalizing I like thought that. they were gonna do that and they don't because it's like I said, we talked about earlier. It's so much worse in your head. It's so much worse when they describe him trying to fight for his life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, so, uh, like, yeah, you're just waiting for another moment. Like, but I, I have a, I have a sneaking suspicion about why you and I might not have responded well, as well. Well, to, go ahead and tell me. I don't have a ton written well, down here about this. Well, I think because, um, in the Bosnia scene, one of them, Specifically, that woman that you're talking about. She's talking about how old she was. She was talking about how um, 
she compliments her on her on her dress, on like not her dress, but how she dressed. Yeah. Um. Uh. Uh. Kirsten does. Mm-hmm. And um, she said that um, the old lady says, "I hope that when I die, or when I pass on, that they take my clothes away and use it for fabrics." Mm-hmm. And I think there's something in there specifically about this lady and about this connection that she made with this other human that is seen from an old la- from an old lady's perspective. I mean, this woman was born. This woman's probably old enough to be my mom. Like she's born sixty five. She's a little Kirsten is. Okay. So she's uh-huh. she's a she's a little bit younger than my parents. But like the a bit like what I'm saying is like to have that to have that like the things you think about when you get older. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'm I'm not there yet. But I wonder if someday I'll think about like, oh, I've made this many movies, or I've made this many commercials, or I've made this many uh, art. I wonder how many in my I have left in me. Like you start thinking about how much time you have left or how many projects you have left in you or how much more patience you have or something like that. You start thinking about, oh, yes, that's my wonderful cabinet full of, I don't know, prized possessions. Let's say Criterion movies. (laughs) I wonder who I should give them away to when I pass on. I'm not, as a 35-year-old man, almost 35-year-old, not thinking about that. But I bet you those people are. I bet you both of those ladies are. And so, like, it might not appeal to us because we're not there yet. And mm. we might not be there. But I do kind of appreciate that as part of her memoir, she included it because it kind of shows, hey, like, once again, just how sweet of a woman these two ladies are. But, like, just the softness of, like... I've already planned like what I want to do with my life after I'm gone or with my belongings after I'm gone or whatever. There's something kind of being said there. I forget what was kind of being telegraphed to me when she revisits them five years later. Like she, I think she meets the woman's daughter and I think they talk about like, yeah, they, well they meet everybody because she shows the footage to them. Oh, and they have that reaction and stuff like that. And that was sweet, but I, but I wasn't really, maybe that's just like about how, because I do, I, there is a, there is kind of a, a, a fun moment that happens in my line of work. Not that, not that everything is like one for one with me and Kirsten Johnson, <laughs> uh, Johnson, but, uh, but like there is a fun moment where you're pretty much trying on shirts over top of, like you, like, you know, on Queer Eye when they, when they, uh, the one guy grabs all the clothes and he holds it up in front of them in front of the mirror. That's essentially what I'm doing with uh, a company's brand like what about this what about that oh no i don't like that Ooh, but i do like that when you show them their full when they finally get to see the new them Mm. you finally get to send them that proof of the of the commercial and they light up and they're like wow you made us look so much better than what we actually are it's like that like like you get to show them kind of you get to lie a little bit you get to show a little magic or whatever there's something very gratifying about that there's something about kind of showing them in their best moments mm-hmm. that is really, really rewarding. Okay. And I think it's her ability to come back five years later after the success of her, um, of her work, of her, of her, uh, docu- documentary, showing that to them is probably part of her process and something that she probably really enjoys. That's my guess. That's my guess based on, well, that's the other thing is that's probably one of my big complaints about, complaints it's a nitpick it really is not a complaint 
is I don't have, we don't get context. Yeah. We yeah. don't get context for any of this. We just have to make, and like as someone who said, I like interpreting, interpreting things and drawing forth like what the meanings could be. That was kind of the fun part of the show. It, it kind of, it did feel a little bit like homework because we had to watch it for tonight for us uh-huh. to discuss it. But I thought what fun to just sit there and watch things within context and try to guess what she's trying to tell me. Yeah, so some I of that, that was I, I was a little hesitant at first when it came to that because some of it, like we get that opening scene and then we get, um, she's just showing us a Missouri thunderstorm rolling in, and then there's yes. lightning that strikes, and I'm like, uh, hmm. <laughs> I was kind of like, all right, well no. that was a cool shot, but is this what the next hour and a half is going to be? What else? No, what else happened? Well, she coughs. She sneezes. Oh, sneezes, yeah. She sneezes. So she is just like that rainstorm. She is just like, she is a thunder. She is a force to be reckoned with. But her her thunderclap is a little bit quieter. (laughs) That's how I read that. I read it as, I read it as, she's a badass too. She could roll in like, like, like fucking lightning. Mm. But she sounds like this. She doesn't sound like a big boom. She sounds like this. (laughs) Right. And then the other, wasn't the, one of the other ones early was when she was, uh, she was she was watching the sheep, and she was filming them. Yeah, I did. And then she's and she's like pulling at the at the weeds to make sure that the shot is a certain way and and all of that kind of stuff. And I and I liked those little detail moments, but I also liked how it did relate to our first film, F for Fake, because it even though it's a documentary, she is still crafting, right? Yeah, it is. Oh it gosh. is the documentary that, like you were just saying, where she's showing the best version or the most uh, message-laden version. Uh, chopping at the tree while also the kid is oh, drawing. Yeah. Well, the kid's the, singing it in the foreground. like yeah. in the foreground, and he's like, "Yep." And yeah. then you see it executed, and I'm like, "Ooh, yes. I love the I love that the ability to take a note." Though I was like, yes. that's exactly what the guy said." That is, a, yeah. And then she executed it, and it looks awesome. It's mm-hmm. quite an image. You it know? did look great. Yeah. I did so, think I was like, man, what is because we have that moment with those f- pretty feeble axes, and then later we have a moment with the two kids oh and the little God. axe, and that made me that like made me squirm so much. You could hear her. You could hear her being like, "Oh no!" Yeah, or she's like, like when the kid drops the, kid the axe, she's like, "Whew!" <laughs> You're just waiting. And then the thing is, that she's butting all this up with a lot of ugly, ugly humanness. Yeah. The stuff that she worries about, the stuff that she probably lies awake at night and thinks about. She's been to the sites of a lot of massacres mm-hmm. and and uh, places where people have been uh, brutally killed and sites of things where people just straight up are executed or murdered or, you know, and I'm assuming she included all of this to kind of show the eventual aliens that come to our planet, <laughs> just hand them this photo, hand them this, hand them this as a warning to get the hell out of here. Cause yeah. we suck. Yeah. But also, but also just like, if you, if I were to make a memoir of myself right now and the life that I'm living, yeah, I love these sweet moments with my, with my child, my children, you know, and, and watching filming, uh, they're, they're watching, um, Thomas, the tank engine with, with the grandpa and enjoying that and having this lovely like time and then like cross cutting it with like some of the world's biggest problems yeah, and just thinking about how much, how trashed we are and how like 
just not innocent that we feel as people and to the land, to the planet, to, to each other. Like it's just, it's just kind of, it's hard not to sit and worry a lot these days. And I feel like that was just the beginning for Kirsten, um, back then. And it's like, of course it goes in the book because any human with a head on their shoulders after what she's seen, Mm. after what she's gone through and after what she's witnessed, and the thing is, like talking about how what a sweet person I know she is, is when um, she films this woman who is in uh, a clinic to get what I'm assuming is an abortion. She can oh have, yes, ooh, she that was tough. Have, yeah, and it's filming her hands because she needs to remain anonymous. And oh, the acting of the hands—that's not real. Like that—that that, like that has to be made up, right? No, it's not. This is this is as true. Uh, of an account as F for fake is, is completely BS. Like, right. That's how, like the, we couldn't have picked more opposite films, but they go together so well. And it's this moment where this woman is recounting why she cannot have this baby and why it's important for her to have this abortion. And she feels real beaten up by it. That a lot of the autonomy is taken away from this woman. It's very, very relevant for these days right now. Absolutely. And she says she feels like a bad woman. Mm-hmm. She feels like a bad mother, and I'm gonna dwell up talking about this. But it was one of those things where she stops, uh, not the recording, but she stops the interview and she says, "You're not." Mm-hmm. And oh my God, Eric, <laughs> Jesus! Well, and see, and see, for me, what is interesting <laughs> is is that part was difficult, but the harder part for me was when she's dealing with her with her mother, who's having, yes. who doesn't remember who she is. Who's standing out in the middle of like a windstorm at one moment. She shows her, this is what you look like. Yeah. And she doesn't, and you can see on this woman's face, you're the, probably the closest you could ever be in a camera looking at this woman's face with dementia. And she's, and you know, she's, she goes, see here, here's what you look like. And you can see the expression on this woman's face with dementia. And she doesn't, there's no look of recognition mm-hmm. on her face. She doesn't even know who she is. And that is like massively heartbreaking. Right. And so while we haven't had to deal with that yet, we did have a scare on Monday. So my mother, and this is a, this is a real inside baseball story, but my, so my mother was in town and in town, she was 30 minutes away, but they live a little over three hours away. So she was in town, um, dog sitting for my sister and, uh, my sister's in Nashville on some trip or whatever. And so she's dog sitting. We make a point to get together with my nephew on Monday and Monday we are planning on being at a restaurant at five 30. And so my mom's not a person that's late. Like she's always earlier on time. So we get there and it's like maybe five 20, five 25, something like that. And we're like, Oh yeah, uh, we've got, two more here are their first names and we go and sit down and a couple minutes later my nephew shows up so there's four of us and we're like yeah we're still waiting for one more and we sit there for 30 minutes and we're texting her going like where are like what's going on where are you at and no response and we wait there for like another 15 minutes and the place is sort of busy and they're kind of like all right well you guys uh, gonna order or yeah and we're like yeah i guess i guess we'll order I imagine you guys are pretty annoyed at this point. Well, yeah, and we're like, what's going on? Like, she's not answering her phone. She And so I 
text my sister and she has cameras inside the house and she's like well she left at 4 15 and we're like uh okay then what the heck where is she and so we start checking like accident apps and i start searching like twitter for accidents in lincoln nebraska and we're not coming up with anything we can't get a hold of her my sister's starting to panic in nashville wow and so then maybe another like 10 to 15 minutes later here comes my mom and I'm asking <laughs> nothing's my, wrong. Yeah, yeah, I'm asking my wife like, did you tell her the, like 6:30 instead of 5:30? And she's like, no. Here's the text. And so we're kind of like panic eating, right? And so here comes my mom, and she had been sat, and she told him our last name instead of first name, and she was just sitting in a booth at the other end of the <laughs> restaurant, just sitting there waiting for us. <laughs> and so we're like, you're, and we're like, where's your phone? She's like, I left it at your sister's house. What? And we're like, why? And she's like, well, I didn't, I don't know. I was, I was running late. I, I was, didn't need it. I was going to be with you guys. Yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't need I it for anything. And we're like, no, you have to have like an Apple Watch, or you are required now to have some sort of device around you at all times. You need to get your mom chipped. Like you yeah, and, and so, and so she was sort of like all, she was, you know, flustered because she was was late. She's and, like mad at you guys. Yeah, too. and she's, and so everyone was just kind of like, oh man, that sucks. And we're like, well, it's a good story, I guess. Now it is a really good story. The uh, fact that she's sitting there going. Like where the hell is everybody? And, and yeah. Was it on? Was I supposed to meet them Tuesday instead and of she, Monday? You know, yeah. And she's sitting there and doesn't have her phone, so she's like, can't confirm that it was the right time or whatever. That's incredible. And so yeah, so we were uh, we were all pretty oh pretty freaked out. Uh, and so we're gonna see everybody on in Thanksgiving in a couple of days as of recording. And so that story is definitely Make coming fun of up. Her, I guess. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we're like, yeah, you got That's her chipped amazing. yet or what? <laughs> so so seeing stuff like that with the dementia stuff was very much like oh man that's the oh, dark side of that that's the dark side of that funny story yeah. uh, is is what this Kirsten Johnson's having to go through when you think about it too like that's how that's how families like like Samantha my wife went into went into um healthcare with every intention of helping our elderly and i mean like our family elderly mm. Like she plans to be there for, you know, our parents, like our our people, like our grandmothers. Our we're we're gonna look out out for them and take care of our own and do whatever we can, and even though it'll be hard. And you know, we we're, you know, it's just we're trying to figure out the best route to how to deal with some of this stuff. But it's we're kind of coming up with nothing because it's just what do you do, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But. It is a sad reality, but it's something that you really do have. And the thing is, you deal with it when you're a lot older too. When you're mm-hmm. already tired, when you're already like, you, know, <laughs> yeah, like, you already got. I thought I, when I yeah. thought I, I just got my children out of the house, like, mm-hmm. and now you're telling me I have to take care of the next group, you know, of, mm-hmm. of, of folks that probably act like children in some ways. So, um. Well, it's another there's another like really good like oh my god moment well one of the and other ones that i that i thought of was when the when i don't know if they were in the sudan or where they were at but the woman who is um the midwife who is delivering oh children god and then she's trying to keep the one child alive you go ahead and tell her because man and i was like whoa because she so she's talking about you know she's rinsing at the sink and she's like oh yeah you know we had a really easy delivery this 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 and then you see her later, and this child is really struggling to get oxygen, you can tell. And she 
like she literally picks the child up and is kind of like whacking its back to try to make it breathe like really essentially hard. Like, like really kind of you could break could probably break some ribs yeah and like and you can tell that she's not doing it in a way that she's like angered or anything no she's no, just she's, this is just the way that to keep it alive yeah like, she's just doing this by any means possible right and so then she you know the baby starts crying and you're like oh my god and oh my Kirsten god. johnson is like oh they did it you know oh she did it blah 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 and she goes to talk to the mother it seems like this uh, midwife and then the child starts struggling again and so then they kind of run off to go get the midwife and then they come back and they're like well yeah the child needs oxygen but we don't have oxygen and then you see the child later, and it had died. Yeah. And you're like, good lord, like yeah. how how hopeless and horrible of a situation would that be? To because you're sitting there documenting, and you're in a place where you can't medically help because you don't have the supplies, and you also can't medically help because you don't know what to do. Not only that, but like it, like I bet you, I bet you, she includes this in a memoir. Like if you were to write this. She would, she would definitely include this. This is how, this is how she communicates, right? She doesn't do it with a book. She doesn't do it with a script. Mm -hmm. She does it with her camera. And so what she's telling us here is very, very important part of her life that changed her. That probably changed the way she looks at life, the way she looks at how precious it is, the way she looks at everything. Everything about this moment is such a key thing, like I think to this film and just how like, how she sees like everything, you know, cause it's like we sit there and we, some people struggle to even breathe when they're yeah. born. Like yeah. some, some kids in this world crawl up on a rock and they die. And that's mm-hmm. just what happens. And that's, there's nothing changing that because there is no oxygen. There is no help. There is no solution. And yet here we are showing, you know, the square in which these many people were killed. Mm-hmm. And here's, and, and we have a Marine standing outside of the Capitol. Is it a Marine or is it it's some it's some some veteran who's come back from Iraq or Afghanistan. I forget which one, but it's for Michael Moore. Oh right, right, right. Who refuses, yeah. yeah. And he says, I'll probably go to jail. But I am not gonna go back. I'm being told I'm supposed to go back, but I'm not gonna go back and just kill more poor people. More poor people is what he says. Which is all we're doing. Mm. That is all we're doing over there. And I can definitely see why someone would include that in their memoir as like, this was the moment, this, this moment perfectly encapsulates how I feel about this type of thing about our world mm-hmm. and about what I've been showing you about this type of stuff. See, the only, the only bit of that I would have loved to get is how in the world do they react after that? Like after that soldier leaves, like what are Michael Moore and Kirsten Johnson saying to each other? after that because they're like holy fuck like because they didn't use that in whatever footage because i've never seen that footage before and i saw most of michael moore's early stuff yeah i think that might have been from fahrenheit it had to have been um and the thing is for columbine didn't do military stuff like that no 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 um and the thing is here's my here's my thing like with that with your with your question of like how do they how how do they react i bet you it's exactly what we're saying right now yeah I bet it's the same thing because how, what do you say to something like that? What do you say to, 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 to feel like, like watching a thing like that from camera person only solidifies my belief that anything close to 
the operations that go on with war and killing in any country in any capacity using brute force and a gun and violence is 100% wrong. Hmm. I realize sometimes country's got to protect itself, person's got to protect itself. I realize the, 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 the importance of having weapons and using them for people who are extremely dangerous. But at the same time, like when it is needless violence, like the way he's talking about, yes, absolutely. A hundred percent behind that message and stuff. And to put that contextual with a baby struggling to breathe and then dying, it kind of builds this huge picture of like context for like the fragility of life and how we don't take it very seriously and how we trivialize human men and women to go over and kill each other, mm-hmm. kill poor people. We're like, well, you cared about this baby who died, didn't have oxygen, but you did you care about the Bosnians? Did you care about, I don't know, any of that stuff? Well, Some of it's, a lot of it's is, about just, it's just like a film about caring in general because we have the woman who's, stuck with all of this material after her mother killed herself. Right. And she's, she just wants to do anything other than have to face with this reality that she's has in front of her now. And then we have moments where it's like, here's the prison that Al Qaeda members are kept. And this is how we care to treat uh, people that we have deemed to do wrong like they're wrongins right that have done have done wrong and so it's all just like very um diverse reactions to the idea of caring like we don't care about these women and so we're not going to let them go to the woods so they're going to have to chop down this uh dead tree to get firewood to keep themselves warm it's just like uh it's just like a treatise or an essay on on the different levels of caring or not caring in the world it seems like and it's like a thing where this one really snuck up on me because like i said at first i was like oh yeah this i don't know what to make of most of this and then there was the abortion scene and there's the scene with the child and the mother with dementia and i was like jesus christ like this this documentary that i'm just getting slivers of these full stories is, this is cut material is re yeah i was like this is really <laughs> tough like this is, this is really this difficult is cutting room floor stuff that never made it into an actual feature yeah and so this is why this is the sort of thing where i probably would make my kid or my wife sit down and watch this and i probably would look at the supplementary material that that goes into uh, the background of like there's a whole sort of movie about making this movie and about cutting it all together uh, yeah. that's on that's on this dvd that's on my plex account so it's like oh, nice. so there's a lot of um interesting stuff that i i probably would go back to it which is definitely not the way that i felt when i first started it i was like nope this is an easy delete <laughs> is what i was thinking in the first like 10 minutes <laughs> and then i get to the end and i'm like whew man yeah. That is yeah, a meal, but I may make my wife just watch this. There's moments where it's funny too. Yeah. You know, like, like, I think just dealing with, uh, there's, there's so much of this that's dealing with pain and then the, the funny that deals with that pain. Like mm-hmm. even the, even though the, the lady was sad that her mother committed suicide and she was throwing papers around, there was this like fun 
part of just being able to just toss that. Well, she sort of shoots it slapstick to where she's throwing all the buttons and shit, yeah. and she just shows the reaction. She like doesn't even show the woman throwing it anymore. She just throws, you just see like all this what you would what you would assume is like offstage people just like adding into the adding into just shit being thrown everywhere. Yeah, and then that's that that moment is shown with the chain coming out of the box and two men holding oh, us the long Jesus chain Christ, yes. and like being able to just be a part of this moment where they're just showing this weapon that was used that I mean, it was just like, like I think just jumping back and forth in between it. And then you have these real precious moments where they're trying to find a place to bury a dead bird. Yeah. You, dad, that's what I was going to say. You have those really kind of cutesy moments with the, the, grandfather who's just the most her dad is just like the most grandfathery person i've ever seen he's perfect to where he's just like so (laughs) we should take this opportunity right now while we're talking about dick johnson to talk about the film dick johnson is dead okay yeah tell me uh i'm very much looking forward to this i think it's like a movie about his possible like like oh you're not going to be around forever dad type of thing i have no this is just what i'm saying is Taking this opportunity to just say how much I am looking forward to seeing that film now that I've seen this one. It came out in 2020. Yeah, it's a Netflix. It's on. And Netflix. it's just supposed to be this portrait of him. But I don't know if you've seen like a trailer for it or anything like that. But it just looks crazy. Like no. there's just so much. There's so much uh, weirdness and and whatever. And like that's kind of. But but with that dead bird and burying it and like you know all the pain that comes with that probably for those little girls or for the i don't know if it's a son and daughter or two girls i can tell i think it's a, a i think well i guess i i thought it was two boys at first and then two boys and then i think it's a boy and a girl either way it's her children and like you know it's something that you kind of like it's a great way to to show death just to deal with it you know to kind of bring that into a very real world for children in a way that you can do that. And I think Dick Johnson is dead is kind of like that portrait. It's like almost celebrating her father in mm-hmm. a way, but also like making fun of the idea that like in a dark humor type of way that she kind of does in this film to be able to, cause you need those moments in this film. Cause some of that stuff is so heavy. Yeah. If people need um, another push, uh, if Ben hasn't quite sold you yet, here's the, Here's a little bit of trivia about Dick Johnson is dead. It says when Kirsten Johnson pitched the idea to her father, she asked him, dad, what if we make a movie where we kill you over and over again until you really die? And he laughed. <laughs> so that's wow. what you have to expect about that movie. Wow. That's Pretty crazy. interesting. Pretty interesting. I may have to check I, that out. I, yeah, I can't wait. All right. Well, anything else about, uh, about camera person? Um, before we say goodbye and and again i i'm not 100 percent sure on what we did or didn't get from f for fake so uh we're just going to kind of roll with no, what we didn't okay. get there no, well we had such a good conversation too that even like even even here like in making those comparisons with f for fake which i don't know if we fully did but i mean i feel okay with with once you see these two films together and mm-hmm. in such quick succession you can see why the why they matter and why why one should care about 
what these two people are saying. Yeah, and spoilers, one I'm going to maybe keep that is still uh, actively recording that I can see, and one of them I may uh, delete that is the one that may be the, the conversation lost to time, Mr. T. Not only, not only is Dick Johnson dead, but the recording. But, <laughs> yeah, um... the, the recording. <laughs> Poor Orson. How could he ever get over it? Um, but yeah, I, I think it's interesting, you know, that, that movie that we're talking about that's got all of these magic tricks and, and fakeries and falsehoods, and it's the film that uh, the recording cuts out during. Of course. <laughs> so it's like, that can't be uh, can't be widespread. The, the computer um, knew. No, I guess my final thoughts with, with Camera Person and how it relates to me and and to the film that we watched before mm-hmm. this film is again once once again like just like f the fake it's such an anthem it's such a it's such a uh it's like a, a like a thing to proclaim mm-hmm. as someone who carries a camera mm-hmm. yeah i carry i carry a camera every day we all carry cameras in our pockets now but it means something different to capture these moments um when you are with people and that's just kind of your it's your job to have a camera and and the responsibility of bringing uh certain moments to the screen and being able to like spell them out like she took footage of this little baby short life and it changed mine Mm. and um she took pictures and, and video of um some very funny moments with her children and and I got a lot out of it just by having, you know, seen um, the comparisons of um, my, my own child. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's some. There's just something about. There's something about like the responsibility of having having that camera at the same time, but also how uh, we, uh, you and I, have, we're obviously very moved by this film. But like also a reminder of how much like we, you and I did not need a reminder of how terribly, how terrible the, the world suffers. Mm. Like we didn't need that. But in context to these beautiful moments in this life, like it's a reminder. And yeah. that's, I think, kind of Kristen's job is and, and, and a great way to kind of, uh, Right, quote unquote, right. Show us her memoir um, is by reminding us, like the fragility, and how we don't always, as people, do this. Mm-hmm. Like we don't always treat this very seriously. We're not always very great about this, and I'm not always great about things either. But this is who I am, and I'm proud, and I'm this, and I'm that. She didn't get. She doesn't get pompous. The thing that. The thing that I get scared about saying, oh, there wasn't context for this, is because it's too much like Michael Moore. It's uh, too much like uh, the Super Size Me guy, Morgan Spurlock. Yeah. Um, there's too much like putting yourself in it. There's nothing that's going to kick me out of a documentary quicker than including yourself. Mm. A lot of the times, mo- I would say most of the time, I can't stand it, which is interesting because Roger and me is really good. Like, I really, really like it, and I think... I think um, Michael Moore, you know, can can be really effective in certain ways. Um, but when he, but when people get a little too um, showy and stuff like that, it gets a little more like Orson. It mm-hmm. gets to be that other end of the spectrum where it gets to be too grandiose. Yeah, and too, more showman. I have something to say and stuff like that. And you don't. The thing that was is so great about Kirsten is she doesn't do that. 
Or at least if she does, it's a sneeze. Well, she does do that at one point, and I wonder what you thought of this. It's the uh, it's the interview with the young man who's got the damaged eye. Oh and, my god, I forgot about that one too. It's and, so good. Yeah, and he starts telling the story about losing his brother, and how he loses sight and he loses his brother. Yeah, yeah, about how his his brother like, I mean, without being too graphic, what he says is that his brother basically got part of his face blown off. He just says his face wasn't there. Yeah. Like, he just says it was just removed. And it was... Yeah. And Kirsten has to stop him because he's speaking in English at one point. Oh. And then, so she has to reiterate that he needs to be speaking in his native language instead of in English. (laughs) Go ahead and just relive that horrible part of your life. Exactly. And it's like, he's... But do it for me. He's unburdening himself, and she's like, this is great, but I need you to do it this way instead. And I'm like, wow, that is a real, like this is how the movie is made kind of a thing. And the thing is too, like for, for you and I, as people who study movies and we watch movies and we look at performance and we do all this stuff, you know, there are actors out there who want to capture that same moment of sadness, that same moment of tragedy that is spelled out on that guy's face when he has, when he, when he's left, when she doesn't speak for a good, like 20 seconds. And he's just like left with that memory. He just relived it by speaking it out loud. And now he's remembering. Right. And, then and they, now he's sitting there. And, and now she, it's being spelled on his face. And she may have an interpreter with her because at one point he he's talking about finding his brother. And he's going through the pain. And then she says something like, I don't even know what you're saying and it's making me cry. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, that too. And so it's like, oh, man. Oof, man. Yeah. And, so it's, and, and that's not like a... It's not like a well-miked moment, or it's not like a, a message moment. It's just her being a good person on camera that happens yeah. to get caught, or behind the camera that happens to get caught, and it's it's just little stuff like that to where you're like, good lord. They drove up. They dri- they were right around that time too. They they were driving up in a car, and she had her camera on, and she she was like, go, let's drive, let's drive, let's go, let's get out of here. Yeah, I'm not gonna stay here. And they start driving. I couldn't really tell who was looking at him or who, what the danger was, but you could just tell in their voices how scared they were and how like. Oh yeah, that's know. where they were stopping while the driver got to got a drink of water, and yeah. that's that was outside of the uh, Al Qaeda prison. Wow, yeah. And so she was like wanting to get a wide shot of it, and you could tell she was so nervous because she was too tight on the image and she couldn't get the full prison. She was just getting like the cars in front of her. Yeah, and she's wow. like, oh, I gotta get, I gotta get whiter. <laughs> she's like yeah. laughing to herself, and they're kind of trying to play it off. And then, yeah, they get their car stopped, and then that's right. kind of all that you see of that storyline. Cuts from there, cuts from there to to Guantanamo Bay. So uh, it's yeah, absolutely crazy. Like so much of it, and it's just like, and 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 the thing we keep describing is like, there's no set time. Like she cuts right at an opportune moment. Mm-hmm. The, these things could last. You know, a couple seconds to a couple minutes to full length parts of the, the like very very large parts of the film, um, and it's just the every every moment feels so personal um, in terms of like how things are looked at. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So this one's a keeper for me, even though even though if you look at the ratings, I gave this a four star as well as I gave yeah. F for Fake. So did I. Uh, but this one I feel like is a little richer in terms of rewatchability because it has more of that, like Orson Welles, a legendary person, a 
good storyteller, a obviously very skilled um, director and writer, but that's that feels more like a one-time thing here to where this has more emotional heft to it and is something that I could be like, oh, you know what, Anna, you think that you want to watch, uh, you want to get into documentaries? Well, here, let, let me show you this. Let yeah. me show you then, you know, something much different like the, you know, Thin Blue Line or whatever. Um, and I think it's just something that's nice to have in terms of uh, a smattering of different documentary uh, material. Some of those moments, too, when they're genuine, when you – this might be a great way to end it. I don't know. I, but maybe not. Um, some of those moments when you're filming, it's, it is those outtakes. When you're trying to get them to respond to you, you know, like um, um, when I uh, when I was filming uh, a kid, um, it's like, hey, can you put my grandkid in the commercial or whatever? <laughs> and they're like, I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. And so we <laughs> so we have them in the commercial and they're supposed to look up at their mom and dad. And it's after that. It's after the realtor has shown them the house. They're supposed to grab onto their mom and mom or dad's arm and like pull it and go, "I really love this house." How do you get a kid to? to it's a cheesy line, right? Yeah. It's it's very bad. No kid would say this. But you have to get like at least a like just a tiny iota of like real realistic like performance out of them. So we shot it like three or four times. And the kid is just going, I really love this house. Can you speak up, please? I really love this house. Mm. I really love this house. I re- this kid is terrified because once you start rolling, once they see the red light, they are, they're not going to be genuine. And it was in that moment, good thing I was rolling, right? Of I want you to go over to that wall, touch it, run back over to this wall, touch it, run around this chair, run right up to your dad's arm, pull it, look up at him and go, and then scream, I really love this house. And so the kid does it and goes, okay, and then runs and then does everything, runs around the chair, pulls on the arm, and goes, I really love this house. And it was like, cut, print, we're good. That's it. That's the same. It is manipulation. It is fakery. But what is genuine in that fucking moment is the happiness of that kid. Yeah. And I think that's the that's that's how you as a director, as a person who has to like manipulate people to get them to do what you need to do on screen is to be genuine and to be a part of that. And that's what I think both films have is Mm. the genuineness that comes from it. One is fake and one is real, but both have genuineness in it. And that's, what's so fascinating about the cop, the, the, uh, the, uh, um, gosh, I was so articulate. Uh, that, that, that is the point of these films. That's the real, that's the documentary of it right there, Ben. I'm leaving that in. No, that's the genuine moment of me. It's like, it's like, yeah. Rolling, rolling, rolling. What was I saying? Rolling. What was I talking about? Yeah, <laughs> you get it anyway. It's like, you know what I'm saying. Love it. Ugh, that is love genuine. it. Love it. All right. What's well, more genuine than that? Exactly. Going, I don't fucking know what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, those lights are bright, you know, shiny <sighs> objects, et cetera, et cetera. So that is F for fake. That is camera person. Uh, I believe the, the consensus is that I'm keeping camera person and yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe getting all of the background information um, and running through F for fake and then saying goodbye to that to that film. Camera person is one that if I had to share it with somebody, it's almost like, are you worthy enough for me to share it with you? Because yeah. it's so personal. 
yeah that i that i kind of don't want to open and open myself up well it is like sharing it is personal that, because you have i'm not gonna give that to just anybody right you know what i mean yeah because you have you have discussions about kids you have discussions about aging parents uh yeah. there's all kinds of avenues to go down uh in the in that documentary and she and the thing is is she doesn't make you go down those roads she just allows you to yeah. You know, she's not forcing any of these moments. Uh, she's not wrenching any of the sadness out of her mother's condition or anything like that. I will she's be paying just, attention. Yeah. From now on. There you go. Like to her and everything. Yeah. Wonderful. So that is going to wrap up this episode. If you have any comments for the show, you could email us at plainlabelpodcast at gmail.com. If you wanted to help us out, you could check out our show notes where you'll find the link to our Amazon wish list. And as we mentioned earlier, and who knows what stayed in there and what was lost to the, uh, to the malfunctioning computer on our show notes, I'm going to have a PDF of the movies that I have yet to see of this grand Excel spreadsheet of the films that I have and I haven't seen. And if you want to check that out and mock me or push me into what I should watch next, or maybe even with who, if you say, ooh, you know what? You and Ben should talk about this movie. Uh, you can go ahead and, and email me at plainlabelpodcast at gmail.com because like Ben mentioned earlier, who knows what social media we'll be on or we won't be on. So I, want, I do want to thank Mr. Teed for coming on. If people wanted to hear more from you or if they wanted to follow your letterbox, where could they do that? At Ben Teed. And honestly, it's at Ben Teed on everything, I guess. Well, I guess depending on – you throw a dartboard and whatever <laughs> whatever social media garbage it lands on, I guess I, I'll be at Ben Teed on that, I guess. There you so, go. Well, at least you have a unique enough of a name. You don't have to dive in there early to get – There you is know. one other one in this world. Oh. And we've okay. been at war forever. A nemesis. Yeah, we've been nemeses for, for a while now. But no, he's great. He's an, he's an artist. Oh, he's an there artist you go. In, in China of all places. It's cool. Wow. Interesting. And all he's right. also on Letterboxd. <laughs> <laughs> at Ben Teed probably. At Ben Teed too. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for listening, and you can join me next week with another guest and another film. 